scripture reading this morning is in two parts. The first part is from Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The second reading is from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. God for his word. Well, good morning. I'm Abby. 
<laughs> yes, nice to have some waves, nice to see some faces. Um, I've been with you now for about six and a half months, if you can believe it, but this is my first time meeting a lot of you. So I'm so grateful to be in front of you this morning and uh, to just be able to yeah, see what I assume are smiles behind your masks. Um, you might not be feeling that right now, but that's okay. Hopefully we get there later on. Um, yeah, I again want to say um, it's so good to be here and I'm looking forward to getting into these passages with you. And um, I want to thank Vic for that prayer. It was just so... Um, yeah, so wonderful, and I think the Spirit just prompted you as to what I'd be talking about, because it was a perfect prayer for that. Now this morning, we are going to be talking about uh, the second part of what I'm calling the holy triad of faith and hope and love. Now the writer of Corinthians tells us that when all else fails, these three things are what remains. And Greg talked to us last week about, about the first part of this triad about faith and shared a great quote with us um, by a man whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce. Um, that's Greg's thing. It's his <laughs> domain, pronouncing hard names. But the quote said this. It said that faith is the way into mystery, a vast and open space that opens our own minds and hearts to question with courage, to wonder with love, to seek with compassion, and to grow in freedom. Now, this morning we are going to look at hope and how hope can be something that sustains us through change and through uncertainty, something I think we're all familiar with by now. So as we look at hope this morning, let's uh, come to God and ask that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts um, to what God has for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here in this building, but also in our homes online across the city and across the country too. And God, as we come to you now and ponder what your word means for us today and what your spirit is prompting us to do, I ask that you would give us hearts that are responsive and obedient. God, we come to you this morning seeking you, and trust in the promise that when we seek you, we will find you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of different word combinations that I love, and one of those word combinations is free and trial. Now, I think those are targeted right at me because I definitely sign up for a lot of free trials and then forget to cancel it before the payment comes off. But there was one weekend a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, and it was Easter and Ancestry.com came out with a free trial. You can use this for the four days of Easter weekend. So I signed up for it and for the next four days, got lost in building my family trees. Now on my dad's side, it was actually quite simple because um, he's from Jamaica and there are no records. So I was able to build um, up to my dad and his parents and then that was it. My mom's side, however, proved to be much more complicated and have much more information on there. I was able to find out that my ancestors on my grandma's side came from England, on my grandpa's side came from Ireland. 
There were records of them traveling to Canada, um, settling in Quebec and Toronto, and ending up mostly in southern Ontario, um, having farms with animals and crops. On my grandma's side, I found out that her great-grandfather, uh, sorry, her grandfather came over in 1912 with his family, and they actually came by boat, so it was a few weeks' journey. I know that she's filled in some of the blanks and that uh, her grandfather sent um, her grandmother with two small children ahead, um, and he would come later. So she was with two small children on a boat for three weeks. By the time my great-great-grandfather arrived, she didn't speak to him for what I think was about a month, which I can definitely understand. <laughs> but they set up, actually, at this house on Young and Adelaide, and that was where they lived for a little while before heading south um, to join the rest of the family as farmers. I'm sorry they didn't keep that property, um, but that's okay. That was a different time back then. Now, as much as I was interested in all these dates and names that I was finding on Ancestry.com, it didn't quite compare to the stories that I've heard from my own parents, from my grandparents, about their upbringing, about um, coming to Canada, about their history. One of my favorite stories is of my grandma doing um, something that essentially got them kicked out of their church. Now, if you know my grandma, this is funny. I mean, she's someone who drinks tea out of a teacup still with a saucer, so she's not exactly the rebellious type. But after my mom had grown up and moved out and my grandparents moved north, they found this church, this church um, that was in their denomination that they wanted to attend. And this church was very restrictive in terms of what women could and couldn't do. There were rules and roles that you had to follow. Now, this was fine before, but at this point in my grandma's life, she got this call to preach. And she would go out and speak about farming, about being a sheep farmer, and how that had taught her about God's love. And she became quite popular. She got a lot of invitations to continue doing this. And her church found out, and they didn't like that. So she tells me that at one point, a church leader called her on her phone, what are they called, the rotary phones? And, um, you know, she got reprimanded. She got threatened, you know, you better stop doing this or else. Of course, my grandpa didn't like that, so he got on the phone. And let's just say by the end of that phone call, they were no longer going to that church. They needed to find a new church. This is part of my family history, this story. And I don't actually think about this story too often. Um, again, I don't think my grandma was trying to be subversive by any means, but knowing her, I do think it's a little bit funny that she managed to, to get her family kicked out of church. But as I think about this story and my own journey about growing up seeing my grandma preach and my aunt preach and my mom preach, I know that this has been a significant thing for me, something that has informed who I am today. When we talk about inheritance, you know, I didn't get that, that house, that young in Adelaide, but I did get this freedom, this freedom in Christ to do what God has called you to do. And it's something that I hope we can all inherit, if not from our own families, then from our coming in to the family of God. 
Now we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning considering how our past can inform our present, but also how the future can inform our present. You know, the two passages that we're looking at today, the one in Jeremiah and the one in 1 Peter, were written about 600 years apart from each other. But they were both written to communities of God's people. And what these communities had in common was that they were living in exile. They were living far from home, whether for reasons of persecution or political reasons. And they have something to teach us about hope. They can teach us about what it means to live with hope when you are far from home. Now we use the word hope a lot, so I want to start by talking about what hope is not. Hope is not a wish, and that's generally how we use it, right? I, I hope you have a good summer. I hope you don't have any symptoms here this morning. We kind of throw it out there into the universe and want to see what will come back to us. But it's not necessarily grounded in anything. Biblical hope, on the other hand, is grounded. So if last week we were looking at faith as uncertainty and stepping into that uncertainty and embracing our lack of control, which I'm sure we're all very good at after a week of pondering this, yes? Well, this morning we're going to look at hope as certainty. If faith is walking step by step into the mystery of life, then hope is that cord that we hold on to as we walk. You know, picture a class of tiny children going for a walk with their daycare. You know, those ropes they hold on to so everyone has something to, to ground them to the teachers. Well, this is what I want us to picture as, as our hope, as a cord that we hold on to. Now, the Hebrew word that is used in Jeremiah for hope is tikva. And this is a noun. It's a noun that implies that there is an expectation that your desire will come true. As a verb, the word refers to gathering in multiple strands of a cord to make a very strong cable. So if we think of hope as made from three cords, one of the past, one of the present, and one of the future, we can imagine this strong cable that is something that is informed by our past that we can practice in the present, but that is anchored in the future. Now, God is giving a hope to his people. And we know that when God has a desire, he doesn't just throw it out there and hope to see what returns. Now, when God has a hope, when God has a desire, he also has a plan. He has a plan to make sure that it comes to pass, that it comes to fruition. So let's dig into these communities and see what they can teach us this morning. Now, our first passage, it's a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. And he's writing to his people, his community, that has been carried off into exile. And their exile, we read right away, is a result of their own unfaithfulness to God. It's their own sinfulness 
that has brought them to this place where God has allowed their enemies to come in and take them away. But still, God hasn't abandoned this community. He wants to speak to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to give them advice. And so he does this through his prophet, Jeremiah. Now try to imagine for a moment what this community has been going through. They were living in Judah. They had this beautiful city of Jerusalem where they could worship, where they could gather together, where they could be with family. And suddenly their enemies come in. They completely take over the city and destroy it. More than that, they take many of the prominent members and the leaders and they carry them away to a place unknown to them, a place that is foreign. Now their captivity is interesting because it seems that they can live in relative freedom. They're allowed to have houses, they're allowed to come and go within the city, but they can't go back home. Now Jeremiah is writing to them close to what is the beginning of this crisis that they're in. And as we read it, it seems that a lot of prophets are actually writing. There's a lot of prophetic chatter going around. And all the other prophets have the same message. They're saying, don't worry, it'll be fine. Two years and we'll be back in our home. And so the exiles are hearing this and thinking, okay, two years, we'll have to wait this out. I wonder if we can relate to this. Take yourself back to March of 2020. Remember we heard we'd have to lock down for what, two weeks? And it seemed, okay, that's gonna be hard, but you know, we'll just gather as much toilet paper as possible and wait out the two weeks and we'll be okay. Of course we know that it didn't last two weeks, it lasted much longer. And I'm not sure what I would have done differently if I had known at that time how long it would last. I wonder what any of us would have done if we had known that 18 months later, this pandemic would be ongoing. So these prophets are, are speaking to the people and they're saying, it's gonna be a short time in Babylon, don't worry. Soon, you'll be heading home. All the prophets, that is, except for Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's message seems ridiculous in light of what the other prophets are saying. He's saying, build houses, settle down, plant a garden, get comfortable. And as if, as if this advice is not absurd enough, Jeremiah then goes on to tell them they should pray for the people who brought them into captivity, that they should seek the peace of this city that they have been brought into as prisoners. And in case they aren't discouraged enough by this point in his message, he says that this captivity will last 70 years. 70 years before we can return to our city, to our homes, for some of them to their families that they left behind. So with this knowledge of what's going on, with this knowledge of the future and knowledge of their past, they now have to figure out how they're going to live in the present. 
And more than that, how they are going to live as exiles in this city of Babylon. You know, they're, they're on the margins of society, and that's not going to change, but they are to remain there and go on with their lives. And this, this advice to seek the welfare of the city, to pray for it and seek its prosperity, well, I think that's today what we would call living missionally. They didn't have that word then. But this idea that from the margins, from a place without power, you are to influence the city around you. And this is God's desire for them. He doesn't tell them to rise up and fight. He doesn't tell them just to assimilate into the culture they're in. No, they're to stay, keep with their celebrations, with their, their time of worshiping. They're to celebrate weddings the way they do. But seek the peace of the city they are in. Make it a better place. So that's Jeremiah. If we jump forward to 1 Peter, we're introduced to another church, or rather to multiple church communities. Now this is a time after Jesus has died. So the followers of Christ, they are being persecuted. And we read for this church that these are people who have been scattered. They've been persecuted and so they've had to run away and they've set up these little churches, again, in a land that is not their home. Now, these believers were mostly Gentile believers, unlike the Jewish ones that we read about in Jeremiah. So these believers didn't have that, that rich history of wandering in the desert, of coming out of slavery and finding your homeland. I'm sure they knew about that story of God's people. But they were suffering. They were suffering, and they were really discouraged in this suffering until the author reminds them that they have hope. And this time, hope has a name. That name is Jesus. Now, we see something of their past and their present and their future. We know that they have come to Christ, that they have been given a new birth. We know that they are presently suffering. And we're told that their future is their, their inheritance, their inheritance in, of Christ, this new life in Christ, and that inheritance is being protected by God. As they think about this, as they think about the death and the resurrection of Christ, they are reminded that their hope is alive. They have this living, breathing hope, this hope that is informed by the power of the resurrection. And so that cord that they have been firmly holding on to, they're no longer just holding on to it as they walk into uncertainty, as they walk forward, but that cord is now drawing them in, drawing them in to this hope in Christ. Now this is a hope that we all have sitting in our church community centuries later than these other two communities we read about. This is a hope that we witnessed this morning, this hope of new life as we saw two baptisms. And this is something that we see is a hope. It's not just an individual thing. It's not something 
that God says, well, I hope you as an individual get this and you get this. It's not about me praying for my desires to come true for myself. But hope is really for the community of God. It's a communal activity that we engage in. It's something that we declare in community as we sing praises together. And hope is this joyous certainty that even when we are far from home, that even when we suffer, that God is still bringing about his kingdom. Jesus didn't just die so I could be saved. He didn't just die so that the people of Spring Garden could be saved. It's not just about those who call themselves disciples of Christ. Jesus died so the world could be redeemed, so that creation could be redeemed, so that our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, could be redeemed. And we need this redemption because there's a lot that's wrong with the world. You know, looking back into our own family histories, I'm sure we can all find places where things went wrong. Looking back into the past, reading about the community of God, there's a lot of places where things went wrong. But knowing this history, this rich history that we've been given, we will see that when everything goes wrong, when everything is broken, well, that's when God shows up. He showed up for the exiles in Babylon. He showed up in the form of Jesus coming to earth to establish that kingdom of God. And he continues to show up today. Think for a moment, the past 18 months. How has God shown up for you? How have you seen God working? As I think about inheritance, about our inheritance as children of God, what we inherit is actually this kingdom, this promise of a world that will be redeemed, the promise of that which is broken being made new. And this is why we're told to seek the kingdom of God, to seek his kingdom first, and then all these things will be added onto you. We do that with faith. We do that with hope. Next week, we'll talk about love and how that comes into it. And I think that as we do seek the kingdom, as we seek God's righteousness on earth, as we look for ways that God is working, well, you and I are going to start to feel more and more like exiles, like we don't belong here. Like, this isn't really our home. And that's good. That's a good place to be, because once we're in that place, that's when we start to ask God how we can seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. When we're in this place of discomfort, 
with our surroundings, of seeing brokenness and knowing it doesn't have to be this way, it could be different. Again, that's what we call living missionally. That's when God invites us to come into the work that he is already doing around us, to be a part of it, a part of his great redemption plan. So that's our question for us to, to ponder today. In a few minutes, we'll get some ice cream, and as you're eating your ice cream, you can think about this question. Now, what does it mean to be in a context that we didn't choose and still live as a faithful witness to God? And that's going to require that we do things differently. You know, being in church on a Sunday morning, that's doing things differently than our culture. No one had to be here this morning. I'm very glad you all chose to be here this morning. But as we think about this, as we think about this context we're in, I think that these passages are so relevant for us today because we're living in a hybrid model world. You're all in front of me today. We have people that are not in front of me today, but will be tuning in later on. This is our hybrid model of doing church. And it's not just church. This is how most things are operating these days. This is new territory for everyone, but especially for the church. And we're coming into this new territory after watching the news for the last 18 months, after becoming more and more aware of the suffering that is around us, of the cracks that exist in our system, of all the injustice that has been allowed to exist because it's just the norm, it's just what we expect. But we're called into a new expectation this morning. The expectation that God is bringing about his kingdom on earth and the expectation that we will be a part of that kingdom, that we will be a part of that kingdom being realized in our own city, in our own neighborhoods, and in our own homes. Pursuing God's calling for our community in our time, we might find that we don't quite fit into the place that we thought we fit before. We might find we're a little bit restless, we're a little bit uncomfortable. And again, that's a good place to be. There's a theologian named Walter Brueggemann. And he wrote a book about the Psalms, about praying through the Psalms. But in this book, he describes this process that humans go through. The process of orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Now, orientation is a place that we all love. It's a place where we are comfortable, everything is predictable, we know exactly what to expect, and we're happy there. We like this place. Disorientation is not a happy place to be. It's when something happens to make you feel like you've sunk into a pit. And in that pit, it's hard to see where God is and what God is doing. This might happen when someone you love dies or when you find out you have an illness. It might happen when 
The faith that you've grown up with brings you to a place of questioning what this is all about. It might even happen when you face a global pandemic. When you're in a place of disorientation, you find yourself wondering, will things ever go back to normal? And it can be hard to see God's goodness in that place. The third phase or place that we find ourselves is reorientation. Now this is when God, in his goodness and in his faithfulness, reaches into that pit and pulls you out. When God, our hope, draws us to himself as we're holding on to that cord. Reorientation, though, it's not going back to the place of orientation. This is a new way of doing things, a new way of being. And this is the place that we are being called into. And it's a hard place. No one wants to be in that transition from disorientation to reorientation. Because you had a way of doing things before, and it worked. So the temptation is to want to go back to that. But God never calls his people backwards. He calls them forward, forward into his kingdom. And this place from disorientation to reorientation, this is where the exiles in Jeremiah found themselves, and this is where the exiles in the churches in 1 Peter found themselves. And we know that for the exiles in Babylon, when the 70 years were over, they didn't all go rushing back to their home city of Jerusalem. Most of them actually went elsewhere. They went to new places and found new lands where they could pray for the city they were in and seek its peace and prosperity. They had learned, they had learned to adapt. They had learned to live on the margins. And they had learned that this is how God works when his people are scattered. That's when God shows up. And I think that's where we are today. We are living in this place of being on the margins. We don't have any significant power, even any significant influence, really. And we are definitely living in a period of disorientation where we don't know what things will look like. But we know that God is calling us forward. And we know that our inheritance is in Christ, in this kingdom of God. And we know that God has been faithful to his people in the past. He was faithful in the time of Jeremiah. He was faithful for the church in 1 Peter. And he will continue to be faithful to his church today. So while we hope, while we wait in expectation to see what God will do and how he will draw us further into himself, we hold on to this cord, this cord of hope that is drawing us into a kingdom that is just and right and beautiful. We hold on to our faith. We hold on to our hope. And we praise God that he is holding on to us. 
Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for the way you hold on to us. And God, as we think about the past 18 months, I ask that you would help us see the places where you showed up, where you were faithful. And God, as we consider what it might mean to step into a new place of reorientation, God, to be your church that is willing to adapt and seek the peace of the city you have put us in. God, I ask that you would enable us by your spirit to live according to your word and according to your kingdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.